0: Welcome to Writing Black Joy season two. I am Sophia Robinson, and I'm a writing coach and an editor and a story listener, as well as the producer of Writing Black Joy, a virtual space that celebrates, centers, and promotes the voices of Black writers and storytellers with joyful and uplifting stories. Here, you'll find conversations with some of my favorite Black writers and storytellers, learn more about their projects, and the joy they're bringing into the world, hear more about their creative process, and find inspiration for your own creative ventures, as well as tips and strategies for writing poetry, blogs, creative nonfiction, fiction fiction, plays, and so much more from all types of writers, as well as a sneak peek into the writing life. You can even find your next favorite writer, book, poem, play, or blog. And if you are a Black writer who is looking for a coach or an editor to help you bring your joyful story into the world, then click on my website below to find out how to work with me. In the meantime, let's go to today's guest. Hey everyone, welcome back to Writing Black Joy, and we are still in our mid-season wrap-up time. So if you did not catch the first part of this two-episode mid-season wrap-up that I dropped on Monday. Just pop back in your app, whether it's YouTube, whether it's podcasts, whether you're on the website, just pop back and have a listen to that one. In that episode, I talk a little bit about season two in general, my thoughts about it, what, uh, what I wanted to achieve this season. And I shared snippets from the first three guests that were in the first half of the season. And now we have a, like a midweek episode drop. Special, doesn't happen too often on a Thursday. And I'm going to talk about the next three guests that I had in that first half of season two. So we're going to start with Philip Robinson. We're going to dive right in. Now, Philip is a children's book author and he's a songwriter. And we talked a lot about the book writing process for his first children's book. We also touched on some other writing that he was doing. One of the moments that I keep coming back to, honestly, since I even recorded it, was that moment when he spoke about what inspired him to write about Nia, sorry, to write Nia and the Kingdom, the celebration for his daughter, right? He loves to read her stories at night. Actually, you know what? I'm going to let him tell you.
1: This happened um, when my daughter was about four years old, so maybe 2012. Okay. And, And she was starting to get really into like Disney stories, Cinderella, Snow White, those sort of stories. And I just remember this one night I was reading Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs to her. And that line, and I got to that line, Snow White was the most beautiful girl in the world with her snow white skin and red rosy cheeks.
0: Red rosy cheeks, red lips, black hair. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And immediately for the first time, you know, I've read that story for since I was a lad, you know, but somehow as I read it to my daughter, a lump went into my throat. And I had this moment of, wait a minute, you mean we've been reading and reinforcing this story of beauty and this image of beauty to our children and reinforcing to them, this is what beauty looks like from the time they're babies and then expect them to grow up with a different viewpoint and worldview. And I just said, you know what, tonight we're not reading this book. (laughs) 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 And that was the end, never was read again. Um, and I decided to, I, I made up a story. It wasn't this story, but I can't remember the story made up for that, that night. Um, but then once she was in bed, I went on the internet and I just started searching and searching for kids' books um, that featured, I didn't have a son as yet back then, but that featured black girls and associated them with with beauty, mm-hmm. and my heart sank because I didn't find any. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I came across I came across books, and I started asking um, some of my circle and, and friends and so on. And they sent me a few recommendations of books with black characters. But what I found is a lot of our children's books with black characters were talking about the experience of being black. Um, yes, also not mentioning beauty, but mentioning words like strong and proud and and mm. so on and when they talked about beauty it was beauty from within and quite often the children were that were depicting the books were going through struggle which, which yes. is a reality it's a reality of of all people <laughs> right
0: but, but that's the thing it's 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 a, it's everybody's reality it's not
1: it's yeah. not you know
0: specific to the black experience like everybody's life is ups downs, struggles good bad
1: absolutely and yeah. it's
0: to me, it's it's
1: kind of a stereotype. Yeah, and it just it just stood up for me that there was something missing there. We have so much stories um, that we can we can write, and then I decided I wanted to really I wanted to create my own character. Um, and I'd never written a a book before, but I felt as though it was a thing I'd done like writing music and songs and so on. But I felt as though this was a thing. I wanted to do so i started thinking about the, the character first and the first I'll, I'll read to you the first thing i wrote without having the story i just defined the character and it, and it said this i chose the name nia because it's it's swahili for, for purpose and as the f- very first thing i wrote princess nia was very beautiful so i wanted to, to have that light in yeah. there her, her skin was dark like the bark of the Kashia tree and glowed as though the sun's rays lived in her cheeks so I wrote that and put it down. And then later on that day, I was watching National Geographic and was talking about the, the period of time on the Earth when the Earth was one, one continent. and just looking at the, the continental drift and so on. And suddenly, I just had this idea. Ooh, what, what would have humanity been like if we had remained one continent without a separation by, by water? Yeah, I, and I and that was in my mind, what if humanity was all on one massive continent and they just drifted out to different areas, but still came together. But then <laughs> this thing happens that breaks the, their world apart, um, mm-hmm. and I found a really good metaphor for a geographical split, but also yeah. a a social and um, and sort of um, cultural drift as well. And that's what started the story.
0: Philip really showed us that inspiration can come from anywhere. And we actually talked a bit more about that when we discussed his second book, which was about Santa Claus. But he also had some really incredible
1: advice for writers. I would say eat of the fruit of life, not of the fruit of comparison right oh, i love that no the reason the reason for this is comparison really leads to death it, it is what kills all your, your projects all your ideas die the moment you start comparing and and not just comparing because you're saying oh this person's so much better than me but even if you say oh i'm so much better than that person death it leads, mm-hmm. it, leads it leads to death because when you say a person when you say somebody's work is so much better than than yours your, the quality of your work just starts to, to die. Comparison only leads to life if you are, if if, it, if it's an act of humility and inspiration. You know, if you're inspired by someone's work and the beauty of what they do, and you're doing your thing with that as inspiration, mm-hmm. that's life-giving. But the moment you, you start chewing on comparison, it just leads to, to shame and let down and you, you mm-hmm. stop working with excellence. So so really avoid, avoid that. And uh, even in my in my music and my writing, I've had to teach myself that and meditate on it and remind myself of that. Because quite often I'd be playing keys and then I'd hear somebody play and I'd like, oh gosh, <laughs> I might as well stop playing. You know? Yeah. And then you know then you then realize, to... wait a minute, but this is what I'm good at what I do, you know? Yeah. So so it's find your thing.
0: Now, next up, we had Cara Bolton, who is really a fantastic documentary and filmmaker. And she's also a writer. Now, Cara is currently working on this documentary called Return of the Black Madonna. And she also has a book, Water in My Bones. And she's working on all those things while learning how to swim. And so we talk a bit about that. and We also talk about her experience with fibroids And transmuting pain into joy. This episode was something that I really, really wanted to uh, share with our audience because the reality of it is, you know, as much as I talk about writing Black Joy, everything isn't joy. And, you know, I'm not going to pretend that it is. But this skill, this really important way of transmuting pain into joy, I think is something that we could all benefit from. And I really, really was so excited that I was able to share this with our audience. Now, Kara also left a career in DEI work to pursue Black joy, which (laughs) I love it. I just love that that was her sort of conclusion. If you listen to the whole conversation, you'll definitely hear about that. I was fascinated to hear about Kara's decision to learn how to swim and dive in the documentary that she's making about that journey. And this is going to culminate in her diving to map sunken slave ships. So here's a little bit of the conversation we had around that. I want to talk a little bit about your uh, journey of learning to swim. Uh, We were talking a bit about this before we hit record, because I'm in Barbados. I grew up here. I've lived other places, England, Tanzania, but I've always, you know, wanted to come back here. And so I returned here about 10 years ago. And Barbados is a small island, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I learned to swim when I was growing up, but I have a lot of friends even now. And I'm also in my 40s who can't swim don't swim have a lot of fear of swimming of the sea we have sayings here about the sea like the sea has no back door and a lot of fearfulness when it comes to the sea even though it's a small island surrounded by the sea and I I guess I always wondered about that because I learned to, to swim when I was younger it I didn't have that fear but I've I've met so many people of all ages who do um and I I, I know that it's a common fear also among um, African-Americans, Black Americans in the U.S. So I'm curious about your own journey with learning to swim and also what you found in your research about this fear of the sea.
2: Sure. Um, well, um, in West Africa, where many Black Americans are from, uh, my people are from Sierra Leone. I'm from from the Mende people, not the Mende people. I'm from the Mende people in Sierra Leone. And um, so in many West African communities, they were actually great swimmers. Um, They were great fishermen. They had uh, lots of water ceremonies, for example, in the Mende people where I'm from, they believe that the water spirit protects you. And for them, the water spirit is in the lakes and the rivers. I believe that once um, the trading of humans happened and that humans became cargo, that for many um, Black people in the US, and I'm going to dare to say the Caribbean and South America. I imagine. That, so. Yeah, that the water became, it was no longer a friend, it was a threat because there were these stories about people taking, being taken across the water and what was done to them. And I think that um, like the stories of Mami Wata and some of the other, like the, the other ocean deities come from that experience. And then in the United States, um, the torture didn't end because if you think about it, they were tortured on the slave, on um, the slave ships. And so, um, when when they got to the United States. And again, I, I want to speak to this experience because that's a, what I know of. Um, they were forbidden to swim uh, because white people thought that if, if Black people swam, that they could swim to their freedom. Um, mm-hmm. They were drowned uh, in, as a form of punishment. So um, I believe that many Black Af- uh, Americans have a fear of swimming in open water because it is um, an epigenetic response. Therefore, it, it's inherited DNA, it's inherited trauma through our DNA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I believe that that, so it's not like we don't want to get our hair wet or all of these other excuses that people come up with. I think it is a response to a trauma that our ancestors experienced. Mm. And so I believe that if I learn how to swim specifically, that I will be able to break that cycle, even though I cannot have children, at least I've broken the chain for my ancestors of not knowing how to swim. Cause I don't think I have any immediate ancestors that know how to swim. Mm-hmm. So, um, I have been learning how to swim for about two years. It's been mm-hmm. off and on because of COVID yeah, and of because of the availability of being able to swim. I mean, there's a pool literally in my front yard, but it's not always clean. And, and, um, I've gone through a number of swim instructors. Um, and the most difficult part is putting my face in the water.
1: Mm.
0: I
2: don't know if you've experienced that or if other people experience that.
0: I hate putting my face in the water and I am a comfortable swimmer and I, I hate it to this day. I still hate it. Um, and I also hate, like my sister taught me a few years ago to lay float there's something mm-hmm. about having my ears in the water. Yes, it yes. It actually freaks me out. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. And yes. as I said, I can swim. So it's not even, it's not even due to a fear of being able to 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 survive, but like yes. something about the water in my face and in my ear, it actually freaks me out. So yes. no exactly what you mean.
2: Yeah. So when we do the back float, for example, with my swim instructor, it's the hardest part for me to do because it's really? trusting and then having my ears in the water it's just I I can't relax and I often have to count to give my mind something mm. to do other than panic
0: yeah oh I cannot relax at all like it's so funny because that is the thing that they teach you to do like if you're tired even when you're learning to swim or like if you're tired you turn over you lay float I I panic I actually if I said mm-hmm. my sisters uh, and, and when to say she taught me recently I'm talking about within the last maybe five years yeah. <laughs> she taught me how to do it and it's still not comfortable for me that 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 trust issue for sure of like trusting you know and at the end of the day <laughs> as I tell people I have yes. devices up here so I'm probably gonna float <laughs> anyway right but like yeah it's yes. really uncomfortable so i never even thought about that so thank you for uh, for sharing that experience we also talked quite a bit about fibroids and I thought that was a really important com- part of the conversation to share so you can have a listen to that now
2: The final point is about fibroids and how I believe that fibroids are a symptom of inherited trauma uh, among Black women, particularly who are descended from um, captive Africans.
0: Yeah. And we were talking about that as well before we hit record, because I I have fibroids as well, Um, and I know so many people who do. And that was just so interesting to me because it, you know... I did learn when I started to, when I, you know, discovered that I had them and I started to do the research, I did learn it is a lot more common in Black women than it is in other, in terms of prevalence. Yes. Uh, and so I was always curious about that. So I, I'm, yeah, that's something that I hadn't really considered. But, you know, I, I've always been fascinated by epigenetics and how things are passed on through that genetic code in terms of the code is changed through the environment, through trauma, through whatever is happening. Um, and then that is passed on sort of to the next generation and the next. So tell me a bit more about what you found out about the fibroids. I'm curious.
2: Sure. So part of the, the, the film we find out that I have um, very large fibroids. In fact, one of them is 25 centimeters mm-hmm. and I have to have an, it's, the fibroid is actually larger than my uterus. And uh, the doctor says, yes. And the doctor says that if I don't have surgery, I will die. Um, and, um, and actually I did have an emergency hysterectomy in July of 2021. And I wanted to know more about fibroids. As you said, um, Black women have fibroids. Um, We have them more often than other women. Our fibroids are larger. They tend to um, be more fibroids and we get them at younger ages. And so with that, I'm like, well, why are we getting fibroids? Like what is going on? And um, there isn't a lot of medical research about the source of fibroids. However, there is a Black female researcher from, uh, I want to say she's from Boston University, I'm hoping to interview her next month, who has made um, a link between childhood trauma and fibroids. Hmm. And um, she said that there is actually more work done by the Black Women's Health Initiative in the United States that um, has more research about Black women and fibroids. And there were bills introduced, legislation introduced in both chambers of the U.S. Congress to have more resources devoted toward studying fibroids among black women and treatment. So it's definitely something that we need to pay attention to because um, you know, my womb was taken. Um, I, I don't have a uterus, fallopian tubes, ovaries, nothing it's all a hollow space there and often um for black women our pain gets ignored um if we're lucky they'll give us medication but they just say oh well it'll be okay or it's you know everybody gets fibroids. yeah that's just normal pain. yeah yeah that's you kind normal. of like meanwhile, minimize it yeah I mean you have a crime scene happening every month <laughs> you know it's just so horrible and um and and then and the doctors don't act until it's too late. And actually hysterectomy is the most recommended treatment for Black women um, because it gets so bad. And they're literally taking our wounds. They're taking our features. And that's something we really need to talk about. And as I said, the final
0: clip from our conversation is Kara talking about transmuting pain into joy. You know, we, as I said earlier, we really need to honor our painful experiences. And I love that she's finding a way to do that while transmuting that pain into joy physically. And she has such a great perspective on it. I know that one of your missions is to look at transmuting the pain from the trauma into joy. I want to talk Mm. a bit about that.
2: How do you think that's possible? So, um, I think it's, this is the part about the swimming that, Mm. uh, I think that when we face our fears, when we when we get into what our fears are, and we realize that they that they aren't so frightening, um, that and, and that we can find something good in that, um, I really feel like that's when um, the the magic happens. So um, my my belief is that um, because inherited trauma comes through the body, that in order to resolve it and find joy, it also has to come through the body. And for me, that's swimming, because that's a fear that many of us have, as you stated earlier. So I feel like if I can learn to swim and find peace and joy in it, or at least find peace at some point, and I do have like moments of peace while I'm learning how to swim, and I did find joy in snorkeling, then gradually that pain, that trauma, and even just being the, the ability to be able to overcome a fear is joyful. And if I can find that joy, then I can change the neurotransmitters in my DNA mm-hmm. and that I can replace a fear with something else.
0: I love how you're using the physical act of swimming to, to really transmute into a joyful place. All right, we're going to move on to last week's episode, where I featured Sharice Wilcher. Now, Sharice is a writer at Heart, and she recently published Heart's Cry, a devotional to aid folks on their Christian walk. Sharice and I are friends, so we, we went a bit deep, all right? We talked about our spiritual journeys, dealing with loss and our creative process, and you'll get to experience her fun personality in this episode. She really is so much fun. All right. Um, Now, Sharice is an awesome storyteller. And so one of the things that she went into sort of quite a lot of detail around was her own faith journey. And I spoke a little bit about mine as well. Uh, If you want to hear that whole thing, obviously go back and have a listen to the whole episode. But here I'm just going to include some clips of her
3: talking about her own journey to faith. Yeah. So I wasn't raised in the traditional church. So a lot of things that I think a lot of people would have experienced didn't, right? I had a a non-traditional faith walk. And so when I became around 14, 15, love of reading actually helped me because in school, eventually I was able to find fellow readers. So one of the fellow readers happened to be a pastor's daughter. So obviously faith came up and then she was explaining to me things I hadn't really heard about. Um, and and I didn't really either. I heard it in passing, but I didn't understand the concept. So she was helping me to understand. And then she invited me to her church concert. I went and I got saved. I got prayed for, and I had this really amazing experience of feeling after that, uh, after being prayed for, that my eyes were open. Like I felt alive. I felt like light. There was something that happened that night that I knew was something i wanted to keep in my life um and it was beautiful experience i remember the days after like anything was going on around me i was like in my own little happy bubble like nothing could affect me right and i was like i'm gonna definitely stick with this this is where i need to be (laughs) but you know being 14 you know unfortunately that friend she transferred to another school and that was like my link to faith as an early christian and when she left unfortunately i didn't stay focused um on it so i kind of went on with life you learn about partying you learn about boys you learn about all the things you know boys are the root of all
0: evil don't care what (laughs) anybody says. I'm just joking boys you're awesome go ahead yeah
3: if you choose the wrong one root of all evil if you choose the right one it's it's absolutely fantastic so you gotta be you gotta be wise with those discerning (laughs) with those with
0: those and all choices for sure for sure
2: it's
3: true it's true so um i went into my teenagers went into community college started obviously learning about this world and going into the world we will say going into the world you'll hear that a lot in christianese um and i was having fun i was a partying i had all these great friends i was at barbis Bu- community college then i went to ue and and even more you know the train says find joy in the world right and ever so often intermittent points um I will be reminded of God, you know, um, and but by that time I was like, yeah, Jesus is cool, but you know, I bought this in life. I I kind of living my young years, and I had it in my mind, ironically, that I think a lot of us think this, like, you know, Jesus is really cool, but I think we want to circle back to him, like when I retired.
2: I and I'll here, get so... back
3: to this later.
0: Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah, stick yeah. a pin <laughs> in this. Stick <laughs> a pin in this. Be coming back. Coming back just now. Hold yeah. this hair so,
3: so I can give me a. Couple decades of like letting go, like a pop guy, and then I can circle back to you when I retire and you know near to death, and I gotta get my life started. I'll meet you, <laughs> and I'll come back. <laughs> and you know, God in His mercy, um, kept reminding me, and I think I always like met up with campus crusade. They will have like these uh, mission trips at the university, and they will t- talk to me, and then. Um, things like that would happen but I was never really gonna commit because I really was like wait did I get to university they don't have my money and then you'll really see something I'm out in these streets you know <laughs> and ironically I ended up at this offshore bank that had quite a few Christians considering like the rate of the, the percentage of Christians to the overall staff complement was pretty impressive mm-hmm. <laughs> so um which was cool and I never had any issues with anybody being a Christian but then I met this girl named Trudy and Trudy, the reason, obviously, as I said, I didn't want to commit to being a Christian is because I wanted to be out there having fun. But Trudy was a Christian, and she seemed to be having a lot more fun than me. Mm. She seemed a lot more joyful, a lot more peace. She seemed purposeful. She seemed like she had it all together in a way that I didn't outside of the commitment to faith. So I was like, yeah, I, I think, I think something is different here, and I want to look into it. I want to commit to faith and I went to what we would call a traditional church. And I was like, God, okay, I can give you like maybe four sessions. Because they have been good to me. So I can give about four Sundays.
2: I you like this
3: bargaining thing. Well find you like this bargaining tango. Like, so God.
0: You got five minutes. I mean four weeks.
3: Four, four Sundays. I think that's a good, that can keep you good for a little while. Circle back in a couple of years, you know. Well, I went to this traditional church and I had the best sleep of my life. I literally slept almost from the beginning or right to the end. Like my aunt had to hit me to get up, you know. And I remember walking to church and being like, oh, man, I, I don't think it's like I think you ain't going to these four <laughs> <laughs> And literally, as soon as I got home, my friend messaged me. She's like, I know you want to be like in a traditional church and stuff like that. That's cool, but maybe you could give mine a try, you know? I think it more fit. Same friend, Trudy yeah. More fit for your personality and you know, so on. And I was like, all right, one session. I've given her one and that's it. You know, just so, God, so she no. can't say I ain't trying. Right. She's so the least I could do is go to a church one our church once. And I went and that was it. I was, I was hooked. I was like, I knew, I mean, I walked in, I felt it. I felt this is where it belongs. And it will seem strange, but when I was walking in, I remember feeling like having this vision of angels rejoicing. And, and I heard a voice say, welcome home. Now, I also love her
0: take on the creative process. And so I thought I would include a clip from that as
3: well. Yeah, so one of the big things was confidence. I think that was one of the things where I was like, "There are a million devotionals out there. There are a million Christian books out there. Like, what, what do you really have to offer that is,
1: you know,
3: on, on par with some of the great um, devotions, um, devotional books out in there in the world?" And um, then is my writing any good? Like, yes, I've been reading all my life, People have been telling yeah. me my writing. Yes, yes, good. it is. Yes, it is. By the way, just <laughs> wow. thank you. I appreciate it. And but you know, you're in that very lonely space where you're struggling with your own insecurities, and you're like, I don't know if I really. This seems so simple. You know, this just seems so. And you struggle with that. And the beautiful thing is, um, once again, in faith, is that there a part of the Bible that says, you know, I knew you um, before you were formed in your mother's womb. And I always knew my purpose was to write. So rather it's a success or not, that's why I've been created to do this is what is it. This is what I've been created to do. So rather it's a success or not, that is left beyond me. But this is what I've been called to do. So let me fulfill my purpose. And that takes a lot of weight off because now we can just write because that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and then a, another thing I realized is that everything I write doesn't have to be published because no. I use so much of my writing for therapy. Just getting my thoughts done and my personality type is very much about um, being able to process my thoughts through writing. So I realized like I was putting myself under so much pressure, like, you're starting writing all these books, you know, and all these drafts, and was the sense? You know, it takes so long for you to actually finish the book. But then I realized, well, who says every book has to be? This is just this is just my gift. This is my creative process. Um, and the book that's supposed to get to the final stage of publishing, it will get there. Um, mm-hmm. But everything you write doesn't have to be published. And I think that takes a lot of load off. You write because you're creative, and that's what you you've been born to do. That's when you are one of your happy places. So just write because it makes you happy so this is it
0: that was the first half of season two of writing black joy if i had to give any advice to my fellow writers and storytellers it would be do not write alone all right there's this myth of the lonely cottage where you sit and write on your own but there really is a much better chance of you finishing it if you have some level of support this could be a writing group could be a coach or an editor or something as simple as an accountability buddy now if you've really enjoyed this show. Thinking you want to start working on your own writing project and you'd like to have a little of support along the way, and you know that's my support. Then I've got a few different ways you can do that. I have a Patreon community that's now sort of starting up, and so there's a monthly workshop or a group coaching session that has going to happen in there. If you want to join that Patreon community, uh, the link is actually in the show notes. Secondly. Make sure you follow me, join my mailing list at sophiarobinson.com and you won't miss a single episode, but you'll also get writing tips, you'll get links to new blog posts and you'll be the first to find out when I'm launching new programs or when I have spots open to work with new writers. Or just reach out to me if you want to work with me as a coach or an editor one-on-one. You can go over to my website and fill out the contact form or follow me on Instagram on Writing Black Joy and DM me, right? Just go over to Instagram, search for at writing Black Joy, follow me, hit that follow button and DM me and let's talk. We can chat over there. All right, now remember to subscribe. Subscribe to your YouTube channel if you're on YouTube, subscribe to the podcast app if you're on podcast, do both if you're feeling extra generous and share these episodes with your friends. This is a great way to also support the show. All right, folks, if you listen to that wrap up and you want to hear more from any of the guests For the last six episodes, just go and check out their episodes on your podcast app, on YouTube, or on the website, and let me know how you're finding it. The next half of the season brings, in no particular order, Gary Ware, who is about to publish his playbook, All About Play. He talks a bit about, you know, being able to write that book, despite the fact that he is dyslexic and has ADHD, and we had a wonderful conversation about his own process, bringing his book and his story into the world. We also have Kim Howard, and we talk about podcasting, and she has an incredible show out called R166, all about Barbadian history. This season is all about crop over. Go and catch that. You know, you can catch up on it so that by the time her episode comes out, you've you know heard a bit of her voice, you know what to expect, and you're ready for our deep dive into Barbadian history, podcasting, all the things. We have Dahlia Kinsey, who just published a book on wellness, and we also have Yvonne Ator, who is a physician who transitioned into coaching and writing. And again, Yvonne and I went deep on the topic of being an idealist. Her business is called The Thriving Idealist. I'm an idealist. I've actually been writing a bit about it. Um, I don't know if the uh, blog posts I've written are going to be out by the time this episode drops, but... coming out soon permission to be an idealist so if you think you identify as an idealist or if you don't even think about it I think you will love that episode all right there's also another interview with an editor another fellow editor Alicia oh I that conversation Mm
1: -hmm.
0: you're gonna love that one too we talk about so many different things in addition to the editing process and there's also going to be Cedric and Cedric wrote a series of textbooks all about Melanie mathematics and there are going to be a couple of other surprise guests as well. So you don't want to miss it. Go subscribe, make sure you're following me on social media and enjoy, enjoy the rest of this season. All right, folks, happy reading, happy watching, happy listening. And I send you big love from a small island. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. You can find out more about our guests in the notes below. And don't forget to hit subscribe to subscribe to our channel so that you don't miss new episodes when they drop. And if this has inspired you to get your own writing project into the world, click on my website below and learn how you can work with me as a writing coach or an editor. Until
3: next time, I send you big love from a small island.